0: Welcome to the transfer committee It's been a long time, but we're back And there can't be a transfer committee Without the committee general Don't know what that means Christian Wolfe, how are you Christian? I'm very well,
1: thank you It's my first meeting I'm not chairing, I think Maybe for one of the really early ones But I've taken a back seat A more, uh, uh, yeah A grandee position On the transfer committee Which will allow me to talk more shite which I think has been a request from a lot of the listeners. Can Christian talk more shit? And uh,
0: yeah, we've we obliged. And that's right. He has passed over the chair to me, Grant Mackay, And I'm going to let the listeners in on a little kind of secret here. He's just poured a beer. So it's going to be one of those nights. <laughs> we're talking transfers. It's going to go for at least 90 minutes. And he's just poured a beer in the first minute of the pod.
1: It's, it's also, it's a German beer. So, nice. You know, what
0: that
2: percentage? Question. What percentage are we talking, Christian? What we're talking. Hold on, it's a, a
1: Powlander, and it's a four point nine. So that's you know, it's decent. Oh, no. you <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do enjoy you them? adding
0: a I do enjoy you adding a D in there to make it sound like the land of P- poles, but yeah.
1: What well, poles land? yes. land. Powlander.
0: On, on the other side of the committee, and I don't believe he is pouring a beer. It is Kieran Devlin. How are you, Kieran?
2: I'm good. No, just uh, for me, I've just got my lemon and ginger tea tonight, I'm afraid. Um uh, i having a big weekend, so I uh, want to try and stick to the, the herbals um, for tonight. I quite enjoyed the the Soviet theme for the panel. We've got the committee general, we have the chairman... My like the um, KGB officer or what's the I, I mass think you're, grave digger? Or Kieran, you, you're like <laughs> that
1: guy in uh, Chernobyl trying to warn everybody. That's essentially it. Yeah. So.
0: You'll forever be my comrade, Kieran. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. But I mean, we, so Kieran, you've moved on uh, from working at, at the Athletic and that is one of the reasons why we're having this transfer committee because I've got, I broke into his house earlier and I've got your always non-disclosure agreements. So I'm just going <laughs> to listen to that. There we go. There's there's Andy getting ripped up, so he can just reveal whatever he wants about the inner workings of Celtic tonight. So keep yourself on this dial. I don't know is, is a in podcast. I'm not sure. Is that true, Kieran? You're going to tell us absolutely everything.
2: Yep. Uh, Dermot Desmond is a lizard people. He's one of the <laughs> lizard people from um, from Venus. If you and uh, that's going on record, and there's um, there's no allegedly about it. I meant to say, Kieran, that was
0: one of the NDS I couldn't get to, so that <laughs> one's still in play. Sorry about that, man. You're probably going to be sued <laughs> by the lizard person. So we, we've got a kind of variety of subjects we want to touch on tonight. We're going to start off by looking at the current links that the players that were we've been linked with in the papers over the last few days. Obviously, we'll touch on things like the transfer committee in general, looking at the recruitment under and his input into decisions. Moving on to talking about Mark Lawwell in a bit of detail, maybe touching on new markets before kind of fin- final, uh, finalising tonight on looking at the art of the deal and when to sell players. So, Christian, let's start with yourself. We have been linked with three players over the last kind of couple of days, and two of them are very kind of uh, sketchy in my eyes, especially because one of them is an uh, 18 year old Israeli who is a uh, getting touted for £6 million. Uh, Christian, can you believe that we would sign an 18-year-old R- Israeli that's played 20 games for £6 million?
1: No, there's nothing in Celtic's recent transfer history that say we will pay quite a few million for an Israeli teenager, straight from the Israeli league. So I think that's just... You can scratch that right away, uh, Graham. No, I mean, even... I was, That was going to sound bad when I say, even an Israeli. By that, I mean somebody in close proximity to Dudu Dohan. Um, Even in those circumstances, and even at that price range, and even at that age, if you as a a club, you know, I I guess what comes back to do we trust Celtic to have, lack of a better word, infrastructure to be able to identify? Um, the value of that player and potential value and, and the quality. And if all that is in place, and that's a big question mark, I, I don't think you just say just because it's 80 million and 6 million and from the Israeli league, you just say, a no, you would want the club to be at a place where they can make a, a, a good judgment call on that. Um, having said that, do we trust Celtic to make that? I guess that's what part of the what we're going to talk about today, really.
0: Kieran? Another player we've been linked with is uh, a, a, an Egyptian called Mohamed um nicknamed Afsha. And he's from Al-Hali. He's 26, attacking midfielder that scored 19 goals in 86 for his club. And he's got 13 caps for Egypt and has scored three goals for them. And he's never played outside of Egypt in his 26 years. Four million they're looking for for him. The stories are coming up about him seem to be the chairman saying he's not for sale and then the next day, saying actually he's for sale, maybe for four million. So it does look as if we're maybe on the receiving end of someone trying to drum up some interest here.
2: Yeah, I think Celtic are among those kind of European mid-tier names who agents love to just link their players with to see whether it gets something. It's, who knows? Maybe we'll be signing on January first with Kobayashi, and they'll have you know a nice shots of them in training once they officially join or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I doubt it. Graham, here we here we go. Karen's dropping the truth bombs as well. Tell us why is Celtic that, Kieran? Why is the are they the sweet spot of um, ancient pro- ancient propaganda? I guess. Again, again, I guess the big thing is that they do have a reputation now among across Europe and across the world as a good platform to get to the Premier League. Um, fundamentally, you know, and that's something that you can market the club to. Well, it, I guess we're going to be talking a lot of <laughs> topics we've already discussed, but it's something that's become really, really prominent. And when I would, and my, my job, you chat to agents, there is like a reputation still to have a good one where you go there, develop for a few years, win trophies, learn a winner's mentality. I think that's a really... When we talk about the the benefits of joining Celtic, if you're an ambitious, decent young player, I think the mentality side of things often goes under the radar. When you talk about the trophies, you talk about the fans, you talk about European football, um, but I I feel like the the constant word urge and uh, urgency and necessity to win every single game of football is something that's very very rare, even to even to clubs like Ajax or Benfica who are expected, you know, to dominate the leagues. It's not even quite the same extent. So I, I feel like there's you know there's all these um, benefits, but I do think the overarching one they would say is that if you want to get to the English Premier League, Celtic is one of the best destinations you can go to if you go there and prove yourself and develop.
0: Do. I would rather you didn't uh, answer questions, ask questions directly, Christian, to the other person <laughs> in the committee. Just come through the chair and the next time that would, that would be, that would be grand. It, one of the things I hope that Celtic do is have like a PowerPoint presentation where they have like Virgil van Dijk looking over his shoulder and then it's like a testimonial. Like come to Celtic, you'll get to the prem. Uh, Christian, I mean, we know a lot about this. There's a lot of things that that we have the benefit of, and it's not just the fact that we can create a winner's mentality. It's the fact that if you were bringing players from somewhere like Japan, you want them to get used to the the great British way of living. You know, like yes. uh, mince pies and that kind of thing. Uh, Vera Lynn on the on the wireless, mm-hmm. uh, Bring them Racism. to Scotland. Yeah, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, bring them to Scotland first of all is a kind of tax that these premiership clubs would be paying because, I mean, they could get them cheaper if they went... If Southampton had gone straight to the source with Ereveen for Virgil van Dijk, they would have gotten cheaper. Uh, but it's a kind of almost like a tax they're willing to pay just to make sure that they kind of uh, they, they settle.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, in, in this kind of weird ecosystem that that I mean, is international football, you are very much given a spot without you know, so much you can do about it so I think you have to kind of <laughs> you know I was, to, I was going to say do what you can and do your best out of it and obviously in terms of the financial disparities between the leagues and where Celtic are and this kind of weird Celtic is kind of this weird Bermuda triangle where they're at the same time one of the biggest clubs in the world but at other time they're, t- they're not even close to the biggest clubs in the world and uh, basically due to the financial situation and, and the league they're in. So you have to be able... Okay, it's just, just longer-term views about reshaping European football, join another league, all that, but you have to make the most of it, as a sense. You have to utilize the opportunities you have. And I think one of them, for something, as you say, is in that kind of platform. Because it makes sense, you know, from what we've said, that can make a really good point in terms of the... The mentality it it demands of players just yes winning, but also playing in front of sixty thousand fans every week. I mean, if if you want to try and go to the to the Premiership, for example, or the big leagues, where sixty thousand fans, I mean, there's not that many clubs that even has that many in that league. That is a development in terms of yes, your mentality and handling that pressure. That okay. If, and then if you can add Champions League, if you add European League group stage, if you can add the Derbys, then okay, yeah, we'll have to play a bet against Livingston, and St. Marin and other clubs I uh, I can say, I mean, no disper- disper- disrespect for, but actually it's disrespectful. But, um, so you have to be able to know your place in that ecosystem and, and utilize. And I think that Celtic, we can talk about I think Celtic do that quite well. One of the things for me is do we as a club or as a fan base accept that? And I, well, probably some people will come on to a lot is do we accept that platform really? And people say they do, but when it comes to it, and then players leave after 18, 24, 36 months, oh, that's, that's quite a lot actually, that's three years, but you know, one, two years and they're looking to move, there's always a disgruntlement within there, which is in a way fine because you, you should put your own club on the pedestal in, in some ways but to really become an opt to be the optimal club you want Celtic to be within the ecosystem they're in now maybe they have to be a bit more realisation to I the mean, club in there as well that you have to know when to sell you have to know your place because if you know your place perfectly you can take advantage of it which I don't think Celtic are Close to uh, at the current moment, hopefully we're moving towards it, but as, as I said, that's what we can touch upon today, where we think they are moving towards us, and where we think maybe it's, it's still a bit to go
0: so I mean I guess what you're saying is that like we're kind of raging against the dying of the light of being like a massive kind of european club and it is is hard to think about in that way, especially mm. when you you've grown up with success and but well, you can use that legacy
1: to your advantage. You, you have, have to, to attract. At, at, at the same time, realise where your place is, but also you can use the legacy and, and the name to optimise your current situation as well.
0: Do you think, Kieran, there would ever be a time when Celtic would, would accept a kind of official arrangement with a Premiership club? Where Manchester they would, City. <laughs> yeah, Manchester City, perhaps, where, where someone like uh, Sosa would be brought into Celtic. To be bedded in for Man City, do you think that would ever be? Do you think that would, first of all, could you ever see that happening? Second of all, do you think it'd be accepted by Celtic fans? I'm,
2: I'm caught in two minds in this one. I think I don't think it would ever be introduced in an official capacity. Um, I, I'm not sure about the legality of it. I know there was that thing with was it Atlanta and Aberdeen had that um, sort of like f- partnership for a while, and it might be like a. I think there might be some legal finicky partnership they could enter in Man City, whereas they're not quite a, a satellite club, um, or they're not really part of the City Football Group or anything. But um, they would be um, maybe like an unofficial partnership, where you know the people you know there are so many connections at CFG. But they felt previously Mark Logo and Fergal Harkin, you know, they, they respected and so much they've they've recognised that. Um loanies, the n- number of Lonies Celtic have taken from man City in over the past decades have generally done well, and there's quite a like a respectful relationship between the two clubs um, and I think it could be productive I, I think as long as you're not you know uh being over eager with that and bringing two or three Lonies a year, none of whom have any options to buy um you know that it feels like you're just sort of um running to stand still a bit but if you were to pick maybe one lonely one lonely every um season who was a player of quality that you just simply couldn't afford no matter how good your scouting was or unless you get incredibly lucky and incredibly shrewd with your scouting. I think that's a, a situation that could work for Celtic. Whether that would be palatable for Celtic fans, I, I generally don't know. I think I, I think it would be divisive. I think you would have some, some people say if it gets us better quality players, if it means we're competing better in Europe, if it means we're dominating Rangers more, then I don't care. But I think you would get others people who say this i'm uncomfortable with this this does feel as if like you know uh, you know by extension of a couple of uh, shades <laughs> you're basically a prop of an oil state regime <laughs> um, and 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 you know if you factor in take in different factors but even then you just say like they just they like the idea of the club being independent which and i think there's merit to both views um so I'm I'm I genuinely don't know what, you know whether it'd be fifty fifty or where exactly people would fall down on it. But I do think maybe that's the situation where the proof would be in the pudding as well. But if you do get the quality of players that you just couldn't otherwise, I think people who were maybe a bit uncomfortable or a bit frustrated with that would <laughs> you might quickly um like it if they they sign a you know, a Man City striker on loan who scores thirty five goals that season. I mean it, I think that's a really interesting,
1: like viewpoint of of the whole club because I think you're right, Rem, I think a lot of people would not be happy with Celtic kind of going down a route where sporting wise they tied something, even when it's almost unofficial, but there's clear links. You know, the are part of some sort of group. You know, they want Celtic to be, you know, they're on the the club, but at the same time, which. I got sympathy that you shouldn't quote unquote sell parts of your soul to do that. But at the same time, I think there's, I, I also want, one of the reason why I'm being so attracted to Celtic and for them is that the, the social impact of the club, right? The social, what it is as his history as a social vehicle and his future as a social vehicle for good. But I also think there's so many, especially the club, directors and the the owners that just pay lip service to that and a lot of maybe not a lot of fans do but if I I would love Celtic to be uh, even as socially conscious as a you know your average German club to you know there's big elements of this in the Green Brigade and so on but to really be a leading light in that like the social part of that uh, more of a club specifically a lot of people don't really want, seems to want that, the club don't want that, but they also don't want to be a complete sporting machine in terms of, say, they're part of a bigger football group but they have really strong connections. So, it, it it seems, almost I want to like, almost shake Celtic the club a bit and say, well, can, can we decide what we or Do you want to be this really well-oiled sporting machine to optimise potential? Or do we actually want to like, embrace the, the ethos of the club? a bit? Uh, I, I'm kind of attracted to both of them but just now with so many areas I think Celtic's kind of just the fall between two stools and, and they're,
2: they're, everything's about being point ahead of Rangers Kieran well I, I obviously I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all mm. um, both both, both sides because if you have a really functional uh, hyper-competent sporting wing that means you, you're going to get greater revenue you can share best practice between the operational side and the business side with the the charity wing with the celtic foundation and you know there's all these different knock-on effects from having a very um successful sporting wing that means you can maybe you can also you can invest more in your charity operation that means you can re- introduce different initiatives and foundations so i think there's i i do think i i know i know what you mean that it just feels like there's a bit of a not quite an identity crisis that sounds quite dramatic, but there's just a bit of a apathy about what the de- yeah. about the direction of the club at the moment i i
1: think you can do both i think I think it's more a sense of says a lot of people don't want the club to be too socially focused on any sort of detriment to the sporting side, but they also don't want see if see if the' absolutely best thing for celtic, and I'm saying it is. Would to be a part of the City Group or a part of, say, the Red Bull Group, and that would optimise it as a sporting one. A lot of people wouldn't like that either, which I, I, I get. But it's kind of this weird thing where they just want Celtic to be a point ahead of Rangers, and like, and I would kind of go. Yeah,
0: I, I think I think does I, I think that's a little bit unfair, and that I think I think the normal Celtic fan or this the kind of common Celtic fan is not. <laughs> Dark. I think they just want success the old fashioned way and they just haven't accepted maybe the modern football environment yeah. I don't think it's a case of just the minimum, they just want to, they want to be competing for European trophies but they want to do it as Celtic have in the past and, uh, and I, I think,
1: think that's the way we're not really here to talk about like the past opinion but I think that kind of feeds into how the club is run as well, in terms of I think it's sometimes run as the, the way Celtic was and they do that, but it also isn't run in terms of how socially progressive it can be. You know, I think they're kind of caught again, somewhere in between. And it's because of the financial power of the club and its name, you get a certain amount of a success. But they're not really pushing the social side, which could potentially be slightly other different to the sporting side. But they're also not really fully wanting to embrace the sporting side, even disregarding any sort of ties
0: or be part of a bigger
1: group. They just kind of sit there in the middle, and they just want to be Celtic of old.
0: I think, also, I mean, I I don't know. I feel Kieran as if there's maybe more of a more of a heading in that direction, especially with like the Christmas advert this year with bringing the kids' charity in and stuff. It does look as if they're maybe aware, especially when there's this cost of living crisis. And we'll get back to the transfers in a second, but I don't want (laughs) to let this conversation in the bud. So, yeah, there's kind of more we're heading more in that direction with maybe the the cost
2: of living crisis in mind. I think so. Uh, Again, this is something I I mentioned to death. But there's some very talented, very kind, very gifted people at Celtic across every department. Uh, Well, most most of the departments. There's a few (laughs) departments I've got absolutely no good words for. But but, the catering, um, (laughs) yeah, 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 definitely them. Um, But and I think this is something, and especially there's people in the foundation as well. There will be people that maybe. With one arm tied behind their back, they're trying to expand that side of things, but there is a ceiling on that, just as there is a an inevitable ceiling in how the how progressive and modern they can make the sporting wing of the club and even the business wing as well. You know, I, I just feel, I just feel like there's for all the positive ideas in the moment, and as you say, the kids' charity and the Christmas advert is a is a brilliant example of that that. Ultimately, it's all about top-down um, management, um, and I feel like that's really where the issues lie. And not to steal the segue, but I feel like nothing symbolises that <laughs> better than the the how they transfer business to the last few windows. So, I mean, one of the reasons
0: I we kind of went on to speaking about the 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 infrastructure, and the the modernity of the club is the the third of the three kind of current links. And probably seems the strongest one is from a, another player from Asia, and I don't think I don't think we can assume that Ange has this all-seeing eye over every single facet of Asian football. So I would like to think that this maybe came from some kind of like organised transfer network or organised accounting network, maybe put in place by Mark Lawwell, and this is coming Christian on the wings of the uh, rumours that Markus is not happy with his contract. Rumours that he came in on a lower contract than maybe he would expect for someone scoring the amount of goals at 28 that he is. And he is uh, apparently unhappy and we're going to be moving him on. Whether or not he is unhappy, it just seems to be that Celtic are maybe, maybe, maybe suggesting that the contract's an issue and they're looking to sell. Obviously, with Ange having recently said that some fans' favourites might have to move out, uh, to, to progress a club. And at the same time as this, this rumor, we're getting linked with uh, a very tall striker. I, I'm, I've missed tall strikers. This guy's about 190 centimetres, which is just fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm 180, so he's a, a good full 10 centimetres taller than me, which I like. His name is, I'm going to butcher this, but it's Cho Guo Sung. And he's from Gion Book Hyundai Motors. I got the Hyundai part right. He's 24, striker, top scorer in the 2022 K League, and he has six goals in 18 games for career. Obviously, he's at the World Cup at the moment. Um, he, I think, this was his first season in in the K League. Before that, he was playing for the Army, which uh, one one of one of your sort, Christian? Yes. Yeah, one of your sort. So, <laughs> Uh, so this to me like I'm going to put this out I'm going to put this out in the way I'm going to tentatively say it in the way that people were praising Mike Nicholson in the past this seems to me like maybe Lawwell putting things in place or am I just maybe a bit too hopeful about that
1: yeah to the, to, to the guy who just scored two goals in the World Cup um,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> no I, I I want that one. It was like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme from uh, Once Upon a <laughs> Time in Hollywood, pointing at the TV. <laughs> I,
1: I think as the Japanese market. I think the South Korean market is, it, it could be a really good one for Celtic. It is the market that you should be in as well. And if they've been picking up your man, I'm going to call him. Um, I think that's. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I think there is. Uh, there is a need to go into those markets, and there is a need to scour the world like exactly because of where Celtic is in that ecosystem so yeah it is also tip that do you link to those players I think it is it's a lot to do with the value we've the Japanese players are an extremely good example of that, and the kinda of system of the structure where players like Atati maybe doesn't start playing you know after university before the twenty one twenty two and you have seen as well that the adaptation while well, you brought in really good players and while there is a always a settling period settling peri- period socially and culturally, I think you see how quickly players from the Japanese league, can get used used to the Scottish league as well. You know, it's just they've hardly missed a beat in in terms of that. So, yeah, yet I, they I, didn't
0: know Scottish football. So, how can that yeah, be? Yes,
1: there you go. <laughs> Quick learners, obviously. So, um, so South Korea as well. I think it's, it's it's a market you would not. I'm an expert. I would think the South Korean league and the J League is is roughly similar So So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think these are the markets you need to be in, and you meet you need to be like really agile. In.
0: Hearing you did some rudimentary research on Joe, what what did you make of him? What kind of player uh, is he? I,
2: I think is a. I think he's like a proper, a, like a quite technically gifted target man. Um, you know, I think after eighteen months, I think it's quite clear that both Kyogo and GG's their best qualities are what they do inside the box. Um, you know, maybe say Kyogo is also better at pressing, he's good at link up plays technically better and Gigi's good at roughing up the the centre backs and, and, you know, being a physical nuisance. But I think this guy, he is is maybe has the build of Gigi, but his he's technically very he looks decent. Like he he can hold the ball up well, he can link play, he dribbles quite a lot. Uh, he's got quite good, you know, the classic good feet for a big man. Um, type of thing. like He's quite involved in nice one-touch passing outside the box, but he also drops deep to, to pick it up. I think if we're talking about, I don't want to say missing piece of the jigsaw because every football club, every transfer window talks about that, and the, yet they ne- somehow it never fully, <laughs> it's never fully clicked. But he looks like somebody who can add something um, that we don't have currently. Because if you are just saying that Kyogo may, you know, I, I love Kyogo, and, and, and and there's there's maybe something that's just not quite there. Whether or not he, um, this this Korean striker can score three or four goals in the Champions League group stages, I don't know. He's got a, a good record, but I do think he adds. He has. He's like a well-rounded player who maybe gives you more outside the box. Who maybe is more of an outlet than the other two strikers we have, who are fundamentally poachers. They're finishers, whereas this guy. He's got a good goal scoring record, but he has a, quite a lot to his game as well. And he's really good in the air, which would be quite exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, again, like, it's very hard to compare leagues. This was a very brief, tentative look at him. But I'd, I'd yeah, I'm quite, I think it would be quite excited if it happens. You know, he, I think he's quite similar in profile to Hitati and Kyogo, and that he's really, the last 18 months or so, he's really just built up a massive reputation for himself. Like He's really come on leaps and bounds. He's got a a pretty big profile in Korea now um, and across the Asian Champions League. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's quite a... If it cut pays off I'd be excited about it and I do think fundamentally he, he would fit the system uh, because he does do the link-up play. I've no idea how he presses but um, uh, yeah, I think, I think it'd be quite fun. What I'm hearing
0: is uh, Sutton and Larson 2.0. I just, I'm just terrified now that he continues to score goals. I just want him to stop scoring goals in the World Cup. Just let pack it in and uh, let us have him for a, a relatively small fee. That'd be ideal. So Christian, one of the things you wanted to talk about was the recruitment structure under Ange, um, looking at transfers and non-transfers, thinking about how he said it recruited before, during and going forward into the future. What, from an outsider point of view, just looking at the the transfer dealings, what do you see as being that movement from Ange is just in the door to Ange is about to clinch two in a row?
1: Uh, I think there was always the, the first window, and it gave you an insight how how chaotic the situation at the club was. Right, it was. You know, Kieran's talked about this before. You know, I, I had a front row seat to a lot of it as well, and it was—I I, think—imagine how bad you think it was, not just double it. You know, some of the stuff that came out—it was—it was a club in in absolute chaos. I don't know how that'd been before, but it, it was so far from a weld oil machine or any sort of clarity that you can imagine. And I think had that something to do with Lowell going. And then the new person just being in or not being trusted fully, maybe. But Michael Nicholson was a big part of that window as well. Um, and and I think, you know, he's... In the end, after that first window, you, you kind of... I, I guess, in ter- first of that window, in terms of... Uh, if you want to judge the transfer structure on the... And you just gave it a mulligan. I realized just did a golf uh, phrase there, which is not good, but, um, and you kind of look, and then you go into the second window and the second window was superb. And you thought like, okay, now An eagle,
0: perhaps <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe yeah. like a wee birdie said, um, and you think, oh, well, that's things are clicking on the transfer process. You know, we, we identify players that uh, are exactly right for the system. Yeah, move fast, good value, perfect. And you think, okay, well, okay, fair enough. Throw them uh, from Japan. But sure for me, the the, the the summer was, I think it's not that it wasn't so they didn't sign good players in the summer. I think the, the summer window for me was, a, I think overall, a disappointment more in terms of the way I thought the structure was in place with Celtic at this point. I thought it was operating what I think is more an optimal level. But a lot of the signings there just was just big clear red flags that it wasn't what we thought it had developed into. I think that the January window last year was looking back at it is and do using his knowledge and do using his contacts and having, you know, a league that's out of season. And having a lot of months to prepare that. So the summer window kind of dented my confidence in this. So I think this window now will be with Mark Lowell coming in in the summer. And, you know, and's been there 18 months to then see what happens. And that doesn't necessarily mean the players you're buying, if they're hit or miss, it's how you get to identify, how you get to that point. So I think the general transfer window and the summer transfer window coming up will be very much, you know, the proof will be in that pudding, and that not just buying players, but also who do you sell and when do you sell them. So, I was recording the day after the news about Jeff broke, which came as honestly it came as a big surprise to me. Now, that might I say, you can't even know there might be agents' involvement that, There might be briefing, counter briefings. We don't really know the story, but if that were to happen, if GG goes say next window and they bring in, you know, a South Korean striker to replace him like that that kind of tells me, like, this, this is now a slightly different beast? And then this, and it, I don't know if it's driven by Ange or who's if there's an overall structure. I think that's a key point, especially when Ange leaves. But I think that this could be a really interesting window to kind of see how far is, why is Celtic's recruitment structure like that? Because to generate transfer window right now is not, not a false dawn. But I, I need to be able to see Celtic being able to do this outside of Japan as well. Not that Japan, we should stop buying players from Japan, but for the long-term success of that transfer structure after Ange, you want to see a development of the club's thinking, the vision and the capability to make deals quickly and ruthlessly as well. So,
0: Christian, obviously... You- I, I actually found an NDA from one of your sources. I, I can't say the full one. It's just it's Christopher with a K. Uh, I'm just going to rip that up just now. Um, so, just tell us how can you tell? you know give us any an insight into kind of how chaotic the the transfer transfer system around Celtic at that time was?
1: Um, I think there was a sense of first of all things taking a very long time like very basic approaches from clubs you wouldn't even get like a we receive email kind of thing it was very slow I think Kieran's talked about before how agents had no idea who to talk to who was in charge and I think there's a sense of the negotiations with clubs who's doing it and then thinking there might be an agreement and then the club going and turning around saying, Oh no, no, we asked for that. But actually, can he add two baskets of corn and four or five cows as well to that? And it's so I think what the impression I sat with it might be a little bit biased, of course, but it's that the club was unprofessional and it was a bit haphazard. And there was a shareholders, small or big, who want, was involved to a degree in a detail. I thought, you know, we sit and joke about it, but it was even worse than that. You know, so it was, I know, I don't, you know, I know Kieran had a lot of things to say about the, the window in that summer as well. So, um, Graham, can you ask Kieran about this because I know I was going to go to.
0: Oh, I was just just about to. Uh, so Kieran obviously you I, I, am I right in saying you you took over your job in the Lee congerton Brendan Rogers era is that right?
2: I think uh no I think Congerton 2019. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Congerton had just about left. I think maybe did not Nick, Nick Hammond come in then or was that this following someone Nick Hammond came in?
0: Hammond came in with the kind of Frimpong it, signings. And he came in with Lennon, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
2: think I think he was like a consultant for like a year and then he was given a permanent job from which he was sacked after a year. Um
0: you came in from Rodgers through Hammond into Ange doing everything by himself, into structure becoming in place just as you as you as you left. What kind of evolution of Celtics? Transfer dealings did you see in that time?
2: Well, I guess the big one from the Hammond era was we are going to pick up loads of 17, 18, 19-year-olds from English academies, the most promi- promising ones. We're going to give them game time, and they're all going to turn out to be class. Um, only one of them, I think, ever played competitive football for Celtic and Frimpong, so that transfer policy was a complete disaster. Um, you know, Well, we're going to come on to how we, you know, how you synchronise your transfer policy with your youth development policy and your, you know, your Academy first team integration policy. But Celtic have they didn't, and they still don't have any structure in place for that. So, you know, Lennon was only gonna play players who he thought would win him games, which is a perfectly valid way to go about managing your team. Ange does that as well. Um but so that policy failed, Hammond left Um, Then the you know summer twenty twenty and twenty twenty one came. You know there was all the uh, overarching first team signings as well, which were fairly sort of standard, using the City Football Group connections, using you know a good relationship with PSG. There was all these, all these. You know these are long established thing uh, relationships that Celtic have been using, along with old scouting uh, databases they've had for a few years, which is you know where Starfelt came from. I think he'd been. He'd been somebody Celtic had been watching before Ange came in. Um, a bad, uh, obviously, was a doo-doo boy. <laughs> um, and then there was a couple... That sounds of, bad.
0: Like, that sounds bad.
2: Um, there was a couple of other, you know... I feel like what was so fun about the 2021 summer was that there was about six transfer policies going on at once. Because you had the remnants of the Nick Hammond with... Was that say Urigide, Remember him? <laughs> um, yeah, and Liam Shaw. You had your doo doo relationship with Abada. You had a couple of other agents with um, Jackie Marcus and um, McCarthy um, were. Uh, and Christian alluded to earlier one of your well, not even a member of a technical. Well, I guess he is technically a shareholder, but he's not technically a member of the board. A certain um, somebody's son was heavily involved in the McCarthy deal. Um, and then you had Joe Hart was another agent one, uh, and then you had you know Kyogo, where he was an, one of Ange's boys. I think jo, I think Jota and CCV were also guys who've been in the shortlist for a while. When um was shortlisted, and I think that was that was Juranovich was obviously a plan B because they were going to try and use Jan Kuto from Man City first of all, and then they went to you know they're, you know, they're quite reluctant because Juranovic would have taken them to about eighteen nineteen million. I think they weren't reluctant to spend that much money but I think the Jan yeah, Kutu going away sort of precipitated that so that was just a complete as I say all over the place as, as Christian said you know you had Dom McKay you had, uh, you had Michael Nicholson you had bits of Peter Lawwell a couple of Desmond's and then you had um, the head of scouting and analytics Jay Lafer who was basically the port of call for agents despite having zero authority in negotiations because he's the only one who replied to text Mm -hmm. or picked up the phone. Um, So it was a complete clusterfuck and I don't think we probably appreciate how unbelievable an achievement it was (laughs) that we won the league last year given everything that happened. And we managed to assemble a functional and eventually exciting football team from it. But as as Christian said, the January window was what gave us that got us over the line. And If we didn't have that January window, we wouldn't win the league. Who knows if we would have the solid foundation? And I think you know you did have the three Japanese lads, but Matt O'Reilly seemed to be such the template of what a good recruitment system would be. And that he, you know, like what from what I was told that I, I knew his O'Reilly's family um, a bit, and somebody else at the Athletic knew them much much better. Who I got info from were basically. You know, he was identified by the system because he had very, very good stats. Um, yeah, he was properly, you know, all the video analysis, all the in-person scouting. He was put down as an option, as a backup option to Riley McGree for Ange and really, really liked the look of him. After giving that profile, that type of profile, once in a midfielder, Ange, you know, then picked up the phone as well recorded that O'Reilly was sold instantly. And then you get really gifted... 21-year-old midfielder who is one of the revelations of the second half of your season you know that seemed like as Christian said that seems so encouraging going into the summer window I think the big difference is I think they were really banking on Mark Lawwell getting out of his uh, contract at CFG a lot earlier than they did um, you know, I th- he ended up seeing out all three months, which means he only had a couple of weeks in the transfer window. I'm sure he was like, you know, as we all all do that running down on notice periods. He was maybe doing some work for the club during that time. But he
0: had more than <laughs> one tab open in his computer. Definitely. <laughs>
2: um, but at the same time, Celtic were using consultants because, like that, you know, that was technically the third transfer window in a row in which they didn't have anybody heading up the recruitment department. Which is now, ne- I, I was chatting to my old colleagues. That's they. I've never heard of a situation like that at any football club ever to go. You know, one window without a head of recruitment. Never mind three. Um, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. they used some consultants they brought Nick Hammond again which was quite fun they kept that off the off the news but he was a consultant in the summer and then I think there was another CFG guy I can't remember his name Who's like, who was a full-time consultant who helped out with a couple of things a couple of deals as well um, and you know again as Christian said I, in hindsight the window was a little disappointing um, given the profiles of players we went for and the Apart from Haxabanovich, really, the impact of them as well. I, I don't think we should underestimate
1: the absolute clusterfuck that the Celtic hierarchy is able to produce, as Kieran says. Now This is a huge club. And to go for that length of period of time without being able to put in place something as... Key as a recruitment head of recruitment and a functioning process, even the fact that you hire somebody and it takes a, a point, but if it does see out, there's no disparity. He's there for two weeks at the end, and I mean, thank God you have Ange there in terms of his quality as a coach, but also his network in Japan. So you you have somebody because if if you don't pick Ange, if you pick somebody else. You, you probably end up relying on that person's network and that person's skill as a coach, which will, you know, highly likely would not end up as well, uh, even closer as well as that. So it, it, people, I think, look from Celtic on the outside and Celtic, as uh, Kieran says, so many talented, knowledgeable, really nice people within Celtic, but don't underestimate how incredibly incompetent that hierarchy can be in terms of, you know, football operations and running a modern football club. And people say, well, so they're still doing well. It's because they have a lot of money. You know, it's it's essentially then they have those Mm built-in advantages. So, and for me, it's good that Mark Lowell is in and I hope he is a trigger for something a bit more long-term and sustainable. But again, this... It needs to be built by people who are there in the longer term and have an overall vision for the club. Mark Lowell needs to be in a position to be able to do that. Is he? I guess, again, that's the proof of the pudding, but it's it's not just how successful it is is in this window. Can he actually help build up a structure that, that when Ange leaves, that structure just takes over. And and that's the key. And to me, it's still too personal based on this. I've said Mark Lowell before, his CB is good and he's kind of this fits the CB or something you want to bring in. But the fact that he is Peter Lowe's son is incredibly Celtic as well at the same time. And it just adds to the tragic comedy of it, of the whole really.
0: I mean, he probably laid down in that heated driveway as a kid, you know, <laughs> like just, just makes you think. It, but so I want to, obviously despite the chaos, there was quite a lot of hits, In that first window, I mean, people at Starfield, CCV, Jota, Juranovic, I think if you look back over Celtic's history, we we would have been happy in most windows with those kind of signings coming in. So the fact that that came out of the chaos is pretty remarkable. But we're now moving into a situation, and I don't want to talk about director of football because we've spoken about it enough, and we we don't have a director of football, so there's no point in talking about it. We... Over the last few seasons we've had this kind of like hodgepodge of as Kevin said, different methods in place, whether that's nepotism through owners of the club, eh, signing players that are that are Irish basically, or um
1: relying I mean, on it. So to jump in, Graham, like I don't know if you comment on that, but see the signing of McCarthy and scales. As Kieran's, Kieran's like uh, I've got some different sources to Kieran as well, and they say they're exactly the same thing. Even Shane Duffy. She was not a line in signing. And was, <laughs> signings like McCartney and Scales were pushed by the owners of the club. And in, 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 you know, let's see what the owners of the club, or the major shareholder clubs want, they get. So when you, you think you look at outside and say, like, surely not in a professional football club, but yes, that's what I think. Over, overall, I think football is a lot more unprofessional than people think, but this is happening. And, and that is, is to a degree that you almost don't believe it if you if it didn't have, you know, people, really trusted people saying, oh, that is what is happening.
0: But the, the, the fact is we've not made one of these Irish eh, nepotism signings for a while now. I mean, we can say it's how long since our last disaster, one of those charts in our, in our factory. Hmm. But, Kieran, we... We seem to be moving to a very Ang-centric signing policy, uh, hoping with Cho that this is a this is a, a sign of it opening up. As I mentioned earlier, we don't want to put too much on Ange because he is only one person, and we don't want to be making signings based on the, the the data coming from one person. We want to want to be, want it to be more holistic. Does it worry you that? that Ange is making signings like Aaron Moy. And I don't mean to be besmirching the good name of Moy eh, in the last 16 of the, the World Cup, Aaron Moy. Eh, I'm talking about the profile of someone like Aaron Moy. I'm talking about you're signing a player to come in as the first sub, the first sentiment off your bench and Ange has basically, basically got free reign to bring in someone he knew that was in his 30s as opposed to us having something in place where we can pinpoint someone to come in and fulfill that role
2: it's it's a bit of a funny one because moy wasn't the first choice um you know there was vinicius souza who we didn't get and then there was the vela lad in argentina but he was going to cost about 5 million quid so we're like nah that- we're going to go for the the free transfer instead. We've already committed a lot of money to Jota and CCV. You you know, there is the whole publicity that there there is no budget if we want to pay for everything. There is a budget. (laughs) There is a, there's like a, there is a rough, rough budget, you know, Celtic are never going to be a club that spend 30 million on one window. You know, um, so I think there's, I, I do think it was that that case that they'd already committed a sizable amount of money to Jota and CCV, which meant that it complicated the, profile player they could get after that you know I meant they couldn't afford Kura. I meant they couldn't afford Vela and in, the, in their eyes they couldn't commit that money so they went for a free transfer and a loanee uh, instead um, you know I, I I do I think where the concern with me with that is yes I'm it's a little frustrating that Ange you know it's a, it is a bit of a weird one I, I think it shows that Ange isn't infallible when it comes to transfers you know Moy Moy is somebody he knows and trusts, but he's also somebody who clearly doesn't. Well, for in my in my opinion, I don't think he fits the system in terms either as a number six or a number eight, and, and for an Ange team, you know. And obviously, he played a, a separate role when he was younger and maybe more agile um, when he was at Australia. But you know, having a a pool a national team is very different from being able to select from thousands of players across the globe when you play, when you're managing a club. I do feel with that was an example of. The hodgepodge of different consultants, different shortlists, not having a you know coherent structure in place because your uh, because your actual incoming head of recruitment has been made to see out his three month notice period um, at a different company. I thought
0: um, they were our mates. This city group. I mean, can they not just let them go? They've probably done nothing anyway. That's HR for you, mate. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but, so it's a question that I want to, I want to ask this question, and I want to avoid. Director of football, sporting director, technical director. I want to live in the world of reality here. We have Ange as basically the focal point of the club. We have a head of recruitment in Lawwell. Mm-hmm. How do you? What What is the most ideal way that Celtic can be recruiting players based on what we have at the club and what we can get in the club without Dermot Desmond giving up the the reins to? Uh, a fu- like a, a figure coming in above the the, the head of recruitment I think
1: I don't know how how long we've been talking about this Graham in terms of director of football role but especially around the recruitment model and structure of that Celtics should strive for and there's this, and I think there's as we talked about before there's not one Club, who's a model, I think Celtic can just lift us best in class. And then like, But, you know, I've <laughs> done the pods on this as well before, but in the essence, I think you it starts with how do you identify players? And also how, and, and that's for me, that's always like a continuous process that you should have. A team, a recruitment team, with a mix of data, of video analysis, in-person scouts. I would say, like almost well, like personal scouts who, who has a network to to gain knowledge about the personality of players and so on. But it's really very, very simple concept for me. Is that at any time, or any day of the season, that transfer team, that structure should be able to. Pull out a list of players for each single position that is just right now these five right backs are the ones we think will suit the style really well that is in the age range we want them, which we think we are could probably get and they have the right personality like that that's essentially it, so at any point of the season, a window. That okay. You can plan for a certain position, but if something happens, you built up essentially a database of knowledge to just click that. Now that list has to be compiled by people with you know really good knowledge, and they have to be always be able to produce a good list. But at that point, you know, then you then have the manager's role in that, and the manager should be able to say, look. In this next window, this is why I think the squad's needs are. I think I need a left back, I need a right winger, and I need them to be able to do these things. And you go, okay, here you go. Here's your five left backs. Here's your five uh, right wingers. Do you have a preference? Do Do you have have you dealt with any of them? And then you have that conversation with the manager, because no matter how good a recruitment process you have, if the managers do not want that player, there's no point bringing them in. But they also shouldn't be able to just Pick somebody they've you know dealt with or played with. It needs to to be able to have a the likelihood of the signing doing well. You need to be able to have a, 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 a identif- identification process that's outside the manager, that's outside anybody else in the club. And then also you need a hierarchy, be a director of football, be a CEO that can make those deals. And that just that's not just phoning up and going, hey, five million, six million. It's as somebody who's, who's, I guess, lives and breathes, I guess, networking and within football and be able to pick up the phone and and, and make those deals. So, so, so that's ideally what I would want. Uh, it is simple in theory, but I think it is difficult to to put in place. But this is what we talk about in terms of you cannot rely too much on the manager, even if the outcome is good. For me, it's not sustainable. One, because the manager can go. And two, because in the end, I think you're taking focus away from being able to create an optimal list of, of alternatives, essentially.
0: One of the points um, Christian made there, Kieran, was um, age profile and you spoke before about um it's not Angie's responsibility to give people like Afalabi game time because he's here to win games and he might not be here by the time Afalabi is a first-team player for Celtic if he ever gets there. If we don't have someone who can basically say no to Angie, unless it's Dermot Desmond, for example, what are the chances that we can have... Well, why would why would Ange have any interest in an age profile of a signing when he is just interested in the signing coming in to play football for us? And is it is it a case of there being some responsibility on Lawwell to only be putting forward players of, that would have a resale value because it is in the interest of the club to be always signing someone with, with a resale value? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think. Um,
2: from Man's perspective, I think I I generally agree, but I also think that he's also somebody who loves to coach and he loves, you know, improving players. He loves the idea of taking somebody who's relatively young and making them a brilliant player by the time they reach their mid twenties, late twenties. And it is is harder it is still possible, but it's harder to improve once you're in your late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties. So I, I think that's from you know, from a sentimental idealistic Standpoint, I think that's where you get it for him. I think who works all of his work. <laughs> <laughs> he nearly worked. I nearly worked with him as well. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think I agree. I do think it's ultimately the onus is on your head of recruitment. In the case if you don't have a director of football, that they the type of profile, you know, if I'm just going to tell you a style of player he wants in that position or a certain profile player, then the rest of it, you know, the quote-unquote intangible aspects of the player will be up to the head of recruitment where, he, as you say, it will be the age profile, et cetera, that might be something make it more tangible and also it's also up to them, you know, ultimately to make them uh, within Celtic's price range uh, as well. You know, I think we, we there was that funny part where Congerton was putting, like, Timothy Castagne, what, was at Atalanta down for, for Lowell when they would have cost, like, 15 million quid or something you know i i feel like as much as i'd l- I, I enjoy sticking the boot into lobo i i think it's fair enough that he um he wasn't reluctant to spend 15 million quid on a, a right back um at that time um so i, I do think it's it's a it's a delicate balance but i i think i'm really fascinated by i think this window can be i'm excited by it but i'm maybe a little cautious after last january and i think maybe the is where we'll really see Mark Lawwell's policy and legacy take shape in terms of what, you know, if we do have three, four, five outgoings, what is this? It's not going to be a massive squad rebuild, but if we do sell I know even if we lose Djurjanovic and Gigi this January, there, there will still be players going in the summer. How does that, what what type of profiles are we bringing in? Will it be players, loanies who... Don't fit the system. That maybe were the fourth or fifth name in a shortlist, and are very, very different from the other names in the list, as happened with you know with Jens and with Moy. Um, or will it, will it have a much more clear and identifiable focus. So I think I'm quite interested to see how that pans out. Have you heard anything about Lowell? Well, I did a big profile, and I interviewed a couple of his colleagues at CFG, and apparently he's a very smart, very intelligent guy. Um, who. Has lo- loads of specialist networks in South America, and North America, and in Asia. They do- he does have like very, very good contacts um, in the types of, of markets because he worked. He, I think he was with NYCFC. He did a lot of work with um, with the is in Melbourne? Well, I guess in Melbourne City now. Um, I can't remember uh-huh. what he used to be. And with Yokohama, those were those three big clubs he, he he worked with. So the type of markets that you know, but I I don't know. Exact. I could An educated guess would be he's had influence in the players we're looking at at the moment, but I, I don't know for certain because I, that's my, not my job anymore. <laughs> I mean, um, my educated guess is that Michael
1: will become director of football and he'll bring in uh, Ronnie Dyla because he knows him really well.
0: From you heard it here first. <laughs>
1: so, I, I just briefly on the, on the age profile, Graham, I don't think Celtic should exclusively shop in an age profile window where you know, they expect a return on that. I just don't think that's a, a good overall transfer policy. I don't think it's a good model for Celtic. So I think there's absolutely a case of Celtic saying, look, this guy is 27, We're probably going to get two, three years, good years out of him. Probably not going to have a resale value at the end of that. Well, that's fine because you you bring him in to improve the team right away for a couple of seasons. Absolutely fine. The issue with that is, is, it always comes back to this: if you have a manager who kind of makes those decisions, say, "I need a twenty-seven-year-old. I need, I need somebody in to to play and and win right now." That's when it falls down for me. You do need that person, whatever you want to call them, whatever their surname is, that make those decisions on on a with a more like a holistic view, a more long-term view. of saying that we can buy that type of player say 30% of our budget should, should go to those kind of players that we don't get any return on but that's fine because we get instant return on the pitch and then 70% is you know you, you got buy good players but you also buy developing the potential uh, on the pitch but also on the field so again it comes back to it doesn't have to be a specific age profile i don't think that suits Celtic but it needs to be somebody who's pulling those threads and is actually making sure that the Manager is working within that, within those parameters.
0: One of the, the you often like to cause mischief on Twitter, Christian. That's
1: a rumor. Yeah. It's, it's, and I
0: don't know. today you, 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 you expressed that you'd be happy for Certic to get five million pounds for, for Jackie Marcus and it went down like a cup of cold sick.
1: I didn't even say that uh, out loud. I just said it to somebody and you know, I you know, had a nice. Yeah, conversation and then that's yeah. Saying,
0: it? And one of the points Kieran made by uh, an arguer of Christians on on Twitter was that they would rather that we kept Gigi to score 15 goals a season than lose him for £5 million and what that made me think about was uh, Ryan Kent and how Ryan Kent has basically just uh, run down the value of his contract at Rangers and now they're going to get nothing for him for Celtic and teams of our size, it's vitally important that we keep selling high and reinvesting, isn't it? I mean it's not it's not ten it's not a it's not a plan for us to just let people run
2: down their contracts, even if they're scoring fifteen goals a season for us. No. And I think that's some well, just I think that's something we saw last summer. If there was one positive pattern of starting last summer and going on for the last two three transfer windows is we've given fucking everyone a massive contract every every, every you know we've given four or five year contracts i think to basically everyone um that was the the vast majority of signings we made have been four or five year deals i think we've been you know so um traumatized by uh you know the whole Christie and Cham Edward Iyer um, contract issue and how we basically, because we didn't sell at the right time, we must have lost well about twenty five, thirty million quid across those four players um, because we didn't sell sell them at the right time. And I think that is something that the club have been so, you know, <laughs> you know. If there is one positive from from that experience is that we have, you know, we've been very careful with it. The, as Christian, I'm sure is about to jump on. The, the, that is one part of it. The other part of it is selling at the right time it's one thing to give these guys long contracts to protect their value it's another thing to to have confidence in your manager and more importantly confidence in your scouting system and transfer network where if you do say to your average and gg in um, january right okay you're not happy with the contract off you go we're bringing someone in now that you have confidence in your your setup that the players you're bringing in, not only are you getting a profit in those two, but the players you're bringing in are either of a similar level or potentially even an upgrade. Um, that is a massive challenge. It doesn't always pan out. You know, it's not. There's no guarantees and, and and transfers. But you have to be confident that there's a very very good chance it's going to pan out that way. I think I'm very. I think this window will be fascinating to see whether the club do have the confidence now because they've never had. They've never had it in the past. They've always. Been very very risk averse we talked about it to death how they would just even know you know they were getting uh talks about with offers of 30 million for eddie in um, the summer 2020 and they didn't bite and they sold him for less than 50 million the uh, the following summer it's it's going to be really interesting to see whether they have changed that side of things
0: and chris were you were you being kind of like uh Provocative when you said that you would accept five million for Gigi. Or do you think that's his actual value? Could you see? Could you see us getting more for him? I mean, I know, I know, we're not the biggest fan of him. He's, speak for yourself. <laughs> he's, I love the big man. He's twenty-eight. He is coming up to the peak of his powers. Champions League goal scorer, Greek internationalist, handsome boy. Great. We dads. should be. We should be getting more than five million, surely. So I,
1: I think overall, in, in terms of. See that argument or the of saying instead of accepting this value, we're just gonna let him run down his contract and get his output on the pitch. I, I'm I'm sympathetic to that. You know, in, in general. I think that it comes back to buying someone at that age and saying, Oh, we're buying him for four or five million, we're not gonna get a return on it, but that's fine. Because the return you're getting is on the pitch. So I, I think that's in itself, it's it's good. So I don't think you have to sell just because you don't have to sell now because he's at his highest value. If you feel as a club, you can take a decision that, okay, we can get X amount, but actually his role within the club, his importance to the team, let's just keep him for 18 months, two years, run it down. We won't get that money, but we'll get that return on the pitch I agree with that. But then you get into but I also think there is a sense of Cameron so alluded that Celtics almost their. I think Peter Laurel here was especially guilty of this: the infallibility of their ability to persuade players that they should just just, just stay. Okay, they haven't signed a contract two years left. Of course they'll sign a contract with Celtic. And I think that's the kind of you give an image that you want to be this platform for players to come in and then go step up. But when it actually comes to walking that walk, Celtic do not do it. And I cannot stress enough the damage it can do to a club in not selling players and seem to be obtuse of stopping, you know, not even using common business sense and selling at the right time that you, you is just can't right sell well, so, Gigi. but that I'm talking general points now in, in terms of especially around that you know 2020 window in terms of gigi so so i said you know specifically on him if you can get say 5 million for gigi now that is twice as much as you paid for him when he was top scorer in the netherlands people say Venlo was getting relegated yeah but they sold him on the last day of the window so it couldn't be that much competition for for two and a half million. He's eighteen months older, and he's well, other people want to think he's not Celtic's first choice striker. So to have over double your returns on a player like that, from say two and a half to five million. I, I first of all I think that's a, a decent sum for Gigi, but What there's another part of that equation. Just can't look at say, oh, we're selling for eight million, but we want selling for five. I don't get the logic of that, because if you have identified someone, maybe like a South Korean is playing the World Cup, for example, you've identified someone and we can see we can get him for four to five million, and we can get right now we can get four to five million for for Gigi. At that point, you go very cold heartedly. You go well. That's a net benefit for us. And okay, we can maybe hold on to Gigi up that longer. And if he has a good spring, we can get seven. Oh, oh look, we're not going to accept five. We're going we're gonna to stick to seven. But if you stick to seven and this South Korean striker goes somewhere else, what have you actually <laughs> what have you gained then? Okay, have you gained anything at all? So it's five million. Might I don't think five million is the optimal you can get for Gigi. But if that 5 million allows you to move quickly for a target you've already identified, and this is, comes back to the point that what we want the club to be able to do is if Gigi says, I don't want to sign a contract, I want to go in January. You go, okay, how much can we get for him? And you got 5 million coming in. A scouting team, recruitment team, nerds in the corner, give me five strikers in the 5 million pounds range. That I love suit how you're like
0: assembling the Avengers, yeah.
1: That's exactly what it's You'll be able to do that, and that's the other part of our equation. So yeah, $5 million for GG is a good deal if you can then use that money straight away to improve what the recruitment team thinks is an improvement to GG. So uh, that just seems logical to me. It's not saying you couldn't maybe get seven or eight for GG. You could. But if you get an offer for five and you got a £5 million pound replacement lined up, which is hope your recruitment team have done their work and say, yep, yeah, that guy's better, do it. That that's what it means to be agile, to be—I can say ruthless, but to to try and drive the club to its optimal potential.
0: And Kieran, you uh, hinted earlier mm-hmm. that um, Gigi came in in quite a small contract at Celtic, and th- th- another aspect of this that we would need to weigh up is if we want to keep him and keep him happy, we'd need to be increasing his his contract. So does that make this another? Does that add another aspect that makes it a good time to sell them? Instead of having the his contract, we sell them and get a,
2: a player that's four years younger. I think potentially, yeah. I think that summer. I think you only need to look at the annual accounts, and you know Martin Frio and the biscuit tin podcast is brilliant with this, where they just the um, how extensively the wage bill was cut um, that summer alone um, was pretty. Substantial, given we actually added a couple of players <laughs> um, to the to the first team squad. Um, so it reflects that quite a lot of those guys weren't on big contracts, and the guys came in in January. They they were not on big contracts. I don't think any of the Japanese lads are paid that much, or really won't be paid much. Um, not in tar- I don't know about some of the specifics about the guys that came in in the summer, but I I think it, there is there is a situation where. I, I agree. I think there's some sometimes where you just really you commit. You whether you really think that the player is worth the the money they're asking for, and there is a ceiling. You know, you know, some of the players Rangers have got on like forty, forty-five, or something, which is <laughs> some very bang average players. They've got on a lot of um, wages, forty-five grand um, a week. I think that was like Tav's new contract or something. Maybe um, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, maybe 40, but it's, it's a lot of money for a guy in his thirties who's as Christian will always loves to talk about fullbacks regress quite quickly in their thirties. But yeah, I think it's just something you do have to just like either commit or sell. And I think that's going to be the big one is you either slap them down with a contract that they feel is worthwhile. If you believe they're worth that. And as Christian alluded to, earlier, if you do believe, you know, at Gigi's age, you're you're not going to get a whole lot of money for him. but if you can provide that role that Christian alluded to, where if you have an older guy who raises the level of your starting eleven, that you are confident with it, that it is somebody who really makes your team better as a player, even if you're not going to sell them for eight figures, then that's maybe where you say, right, you're worth it, the con that contract money. And I don't think I I do as you know I think there's so much grey areas to there's so much nuance that I, I do wonder I think Gigi's maybe a special case because he has such a history of going from between clubs only staying at one place for one year or 18 months he is the the quintessential journeyman I think you know I'm sure I, he obviously loves it here but I think there's some something where he does want to feel value and if he doesn't feel valued you know, move on. And if we don't believe he's worth his value, then we move on. We think we can go in a different direction. I, I think it's one of those things where both sides just have to be ruthless. Say we've had eighteen brilliant months together. You know, it's just it's like a it's like a really harmonious breakup. You just <laughs> cut cut your ties and move on.
0: Or is it a conscious uncoupling? We can call it? It's
1: uh, as you say. You know, we talked about Celtic being a platform for for young players, and I think Celtic can be a platform for, for players who think their clock is, you know, the biological football clock is ticking. I think Juranovic is, is a really good example of that. You know, he Juranovic and Djokovic loves love Celtic. I have absolutely no doubt that they enjoy every moment and this is maybe like the absolute highlight of their career so far. But I also think they're players who's going... I'm 28 here. I'm, I'm well. It's is just like 20. Fullback here. So that's like 40. And you know, and and then GG as well. Saying like, see if if I'm gonna play in the top five league, like in say the Premier League, and so th- this is my moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't begrudge players like Jarnish and, and GG that if they have the opportunity to, to do that doesn't mean that haven't enjoyed the time. Then it doesn't mean they're in some way like a rat or you know they're. Committing a big crime to Celtic, players can come here and love it and get it for eighteen months, and they say, "Look, I, you know, my my football clock is ticking here. I I, I will go to West Bromwich. I don't know, maybe not West Bromwich, but I, it's I, I get that as well. So in, in the way that Celtic can be a platform for young players, they can be a platform for players for Juranovic and Gigi as well. They can come in, they can give Celtic really good service for eighteen months, two years, and then they're down the road again. Then I think that's fine."
0: You know, as I'm, a as a f as a forty year old, I like the fact that you just call me a twenty-seven year old fullback. So Well you're not fullbacks. So. I uh, could be. I was I was a left back for Barnard Boys Club, so. Mm, okay. so I want to end on a little thought experiment because in the review uh, last week we you spoke about the idea that in each kind of sector of your squad you should have at least one under twenty-year-old. And I want to go through what we have at the moment and basically say where the space for the 20, for the under-20-year-old would come from. So if you think about, first of all, the goalkeepers, you want to have two goalkeepers plus a youth. Kieran, I'm going to come to you first. Who are the two goalkeepers you keep from the current Celtic squad and supplement with a youth, youth probably uh, uh, Toby at the moment?
2: Probably Hart and Seagrass, and then <sighs> bring in Toby. Okay, I know you. Yeah. You really started with a tough Christian stadium, didn't you?
0: Yeah, uh, the, 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 there may be some Baniacs out there. Uh, you never know. You never know. Sh-
1: shout out to uh, the one Baniac. the one and only Baniac. Paul <laughs> Collin. Yeah.
0: So let's 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 get a bit more tricky then fullback. So we currently have uh, Greg it's Taylor. A
1: more tricky. Sorry, did I say that loud? <laughs>
0: yeah. yes. Okay. We, we've got Greg Taylor, Bernabe on the left. We have. A, we'll, we'll just say a office worker, Alistair Johnson. <laughs> on the right with uh, Anthony Ralston Back to you, Kieran. Who we keep three of them over the four and we bring in a youth player to supplement them. A Calvin Ramsey at sixteen.
2: I think it would it would have to be Ralston. I don't know <laughs> whether I want to make everyone the, the setting up an agenda against Ralston, but I just think you thinking logically you've got Taylor there who's you know, arguably your best player this season who fits the system who's at, coming into his peak years you've got Bernabé a new, say, new signing with massive upside both both on the pitch and potentially off it if he fulfills his potential still very very raw hopefully we see a lot more of him and um, a lot better performances from him this season and then Juranovic I think the the is Well, so uh, Johnston is your new signing that you hopefully rate. You know, is hopefully your first choice to raise the level. So it, it it's not it's not a you know disservice to Ralston. He's a very capable player who's who's produced a lot of brilliant moments for Celtic and is very reliable at a domestic level. Um, but I just think he is the you know probably the the least best in this quartet. Uh, that's a
0: shame because Christian was going to save Foulston as well. So we'll just we'll just move on. Centre back getting a wee bit trickier now, well isn't it? So I guess we have new signing from Japan, Kubeyase. We have Ayer. Uh, I, I was going to say Jesus Christ. CCV and uh, Starfelt. We have Welsh and we have Jens. Christian, I'll come to you first. We're keeping three of the seniors and we're adding Low, We're adding a Dane Murray into the squad. Who are the three seniors are keeping?
1: Yeah, no, you, CCB, Starfield, and, and Kubai. actually. And I, this is, again, a really good test, I think, of of, of Celtic coming up. Now, yes, there's the caveat that is Lowell good enough. Is Murray, I think, who is good enough? Is he fit enough to be a four-choice centre-back? But for me, this is almost like a perfect scenario of this. You have your two a bit more experienced centre-back over certain styles in Starfield and CCB. I think they're both good centre backs. Then you have a really promising, slightly older, you know, slightly more technical ball playing uh, centre back. And I, I I really don't see any other, you know, to be able then to, to bring in Saint Dane Murray and be the fourth choice and see if you have to play a few, three, four premiership <coughs> games in a row. You just have to do that. It's done, it's been thrown in before. In and my it, and I think it, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I, I think. That would, for me, is to, for example, sign Jens uh, over uh, and give him minutes in terms of a hypothetical uh, day, Murray. I think that's just, I think that's the point where you go, as a club, you go, well, no, we're bringing these kids up, you know, it, 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 even just to show the pathway of that. And mm-hmm. I think that is such an important example Um I was trying to remember the, the centre back's name. He went to Bayern Munich when he was 15, 16. Morrison. Uh, Morrison is jumping on my head. Imagine to get players like that to keep them at the club. You have to go see. Look what's happening with Dave Murray now. He's, he's, he's 19. He's coming and he's getting, he's getting minutes because we trust him. Had Leo Yelder been at the club, that would have been for me, Leo Yelda's position to come in and do that. And, and that's ideally so. If, if Celtic resign, sign Jens. And Kobayashi, and that's your, like your four. I'd be like, I, I think that's like, I'd be quite kind of annoyed. And not because Jens is a terrible player, but because he's more of the same, but he's not quite as good as the other ones. So I it's exactly the kind of position where you need to put a Dane Murray and a Boston Lowell in and just give them their four choice and let them sink or swim, essentially.
0: Yeah, I think Jens is going to be like uh, uh... I kind of like a canadian in the coal mine for yep. for our transfer uh, system moving forward. Kieran, any objections to that, or do you agree? No, I agree completely.
1: But, but, and this is the point though, because we're talking about Mark Lowell there as head of recruitment, and I, I think Kieran said that he had all the hallmarks of being a really good head of recruitment. But what he isn't, he isn't a person who can say no. they is the first choice centre back because he isn't that director of football, and there's nobody above him. Michael Nicholson's not going to say that. Dermot, maybe, maybe he would say that, actually, but he's, he's at the position. So that's where you need that football person to say, no, we are not signing Morris Jens, you got Dane Murray. And and that's it.
0: Can you imagine Mike Nicholson trying to say no to Ange? <laughs> <laughs> Talk something about like a wetsuit. Uh, just in
1: a toilet until Ange gets home. It's
0: just so. Uh... Next one's a. I don't know if it's more complicated, but it's definitely more bloated. We're looking for five senior sentiments here, plus a youth prospect. So, five senior sentiments would come from Callum McGregor, Hitate O'Reilly, Moy, Turnbull, Ediguchi, Abogard, and Jamie McCarthy. So, you're keeping five
2: of them. Kieran, I'll go to you first. Who are you keeping from that? Hitate O'Reilly, McGregor, Turnbull. That's where it gets tricky. <laughs>
0: um,
2: could I could I be really rogue and say I'd maybe offer up two? I mean, I'm I'm just fed up. I feel like I know we're not signing a midfielder in January, but I think we badly badly need another of midfielder in January. So if we can just say the fifth spot goes to a hypothetical mid, midfielder that we're signing in January, <laughs> and then to another one of the young lads. That's where I'd I'd like to like that's where I'd like to go for, and I don't I like because I just yeah um, yeah I think that's where I would go with and not even even with Turnbull you know I've mentioned before it maybe it's getting to the stage where if you want to make a good return on him you might be wanting to sell in January or the or the summer just because there is a quite a big gap between him and then O'Reilly and Atati now, um, but yeah I think that's where I might I might stand.
0: I'm, I, I, before I bring Christian, I'm actually, I, I'm actually going to disagree with you there, because I think for me, I would keep Moy and Eddigutche, because neither of them have resale value. They're already our players. They would not be on much in wages-wise. Turnbull is the only saleable asset there. Abogard's not. Abogad is our player, but he's only here for a year. So I don't think there's much of an improvement between Turnbull and any of the others that I would want to keep the, the saleable asset. I would, I would rather get rid of him, keep Moy, keep Idiguchi and bring in the, the youth player as, as a six. Christian, what do you think? I, I think there's a
1: really clear parallel between Turnbull and, and Gigi That, and at the same sorry, I'm, I'm stealing Kieran's hypothetical number eight here. If you gave me the choice, I would move Turnbull on and then bring in that new number eight who challenged the first three right now. Um and then I think I would the, the issue with Idegucci and Abigore, I, I think I would kinda of like to keep either of them. But <laughs> they hardly exist, right? So I I I think then you know either of Idigutrian and Abigore, I think I would be happy as a say a fifth choice, because they can especially Idigutri could do different roles. And you have good. I, I like the idea of Abel Gore as a, an alternative that you can put in if you need to put McGregor up, for example. I, I'd like that. So hypothetical number eight as a number four choice. The the concept of Abel Gore and the good number five, and then and then actually bring your like youth player
0: uh, up uh, as the number six. The theory of Ediguiche and Amogat. Yeah. No. So I put the central strikers and the wingers into the the, the same category here. So I want five. That from is the following. That is
1: harsh. this is a
0: tiny squad, by the way. <laughs> so we've got we've got. Well, I mean, it's two players in each, each position. So uh, oh. so we've got Jackie Marcus and Kyogo and a a Jetty. We have uh, Forest Abada. We have uh, Jota, Haksibanovic, and Maeda. I don't think I'm missing it. And Mikey Johnson, technically. No, no, Mikey Johnson can't count as under twenty because he's a bit forty now. <laughs> so, Kieran, I'll come to you first. Who are the, the five players plus a youth? Are you keeping? We'll say the, the youth is Rokovata. So I'll give you a winger. So the youth is Rokovata. Who are the other five that we're keeping there?
2: Uh, for me, I'd go uh, Jota, Haksibanovic, Maeda. She'll go I think maybe I think I'm I'm quite torn. It's between uh, G and Abada. I think, but I think Abada falls in. But I think Abada, G and then Turnbull are quite similar in that way. Where this is a, this would be if you're feeling very cold and ruthless, this would be a good time to to sell them. Um, but maybe I I'd probably keep Abada just because this is, you know there is the higher upside in the long term. Um yeah, I think Maeda that's can my, play through the middle. Yeah. So that that's what that's why I'd go for. And then yeah, and then Vata can get his minutes.
0: Christian, can I interest you in an Albion ISI? Eh? Always. But not on the pitch. <laughs> um so no uh, Yeah.
1: Kiogo, Jota, Hexabanner Maeda, like straight, not even choice. And then Mayeda can I don't know if he's both in the World Cup game. Nice, mm-hmm. Mayeda can play through the middle as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so I think you have those four. You have Rokowata. as number five as well. So that, so so essentially, you've got a You've got Forrest. You've got Gigi. Well, I don't. I, I don't have Gigi. I could have. I would, I would put Mayeda or uh, as the second striker if I needed to. So you yeah, essentially I have a or Forrest or Michael Johnson, which I think would be an interesting one. Uh, if I had to keep those um,
0: imagine imagine Twitter if you sold Gigi to keep Mikey Johnson imagine imagine imagine. if you sold Gigi and (laughs)
1: Abada to keep Mikey Johnson who's tearing it up in Portugal Uh, So I I think if if you take Mikey Johnson out of the question I think Abada I think I would let Forrest and and Gigi go and then but essentially what you're doing there is saying you you can't have Gigi, Gigi's out okay can I buy another striker No. Can I use Albany No. Okay. So what essentially you're essentially doing is that you're giving James James Forrest minutes to Rocco Vata. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that's really what you're doing. And I think that's a really good crux of the, the whole conversation. Because I think it was Alan who said beyond the scoreboard that James Forrest is hardly played. When he comes in, he makes an impact. And he's absolutely right about that. And you go like, that is really tempting to have in your squad for what outside he gives you as well. But you also get a sense that that is a manager who's looking exclusively on the here and now mm. if you keep James Forrest over Rocco Vata. And again, I don't blame Ange at all for that. Because if, you if you're giving me that choice, I'd just probably do the same thing. But if you, if you put like the long-term vision of the club... Do you give your minister James Forrest now, or do you give Minister Rockovata? And for me, you give the Minister Rockovata if you want to strive to become that kind of club, which I think overall Celtic would be.
0: Same here. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's Rocko's modern world. Uh, so, what I'm going to do to end with here: the three of you from the teams, from the squads that you've selected, you can replace three of these players going into the, the summer transfer transfer window, in line for the Champions League next season. You, you don't know who's coming in, but you're upgrading on three of the players who are not youth players. So it has to be three of the first team players, the seniors that you've 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 kept. Which which players are you removing and upgrading on with an unknown player? Kieran, I'll come to you first. You've got free free players to delete from your
1: your- can, can, can we do one each at a time? Yeah, we we'll so do one K- each. Keon, oh, yeah. steal over mine.
2: Yeah, okay. Keon, you go first with one. Uh, so are we assuming Johnston is signing, and that the whole Juranovic, Johnston mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. is sorted? Yeah. Cool. Um, then I'd go uh, Turnbull, or, uh, like a really good number eight, and for Turnbull.
0: Okay, Christian.
2: Okay, so, so I'm not signing my
1: hypothetical number eight. Okay, if if that's the case, yes, I'll I'll echo now. Turnable out on you number eight
0: Okay, Kieran back to you Actually um, no, I'll, I'll make it fair Christian you get a shot now
1: I'm selling the yellow And I'm bringing in a, a new winger
0: A winger not a striker, you're keeping my aid as a uh, Yeah, I mean
1: modern footballers should be able to do all of them So yeah, somebody can press Can play across the country.
2: Okay, there you go yeah. Kieran, what about you? I think yeah, I think I would do that as well um just we mentioned earlier. I know we're just like stamping yeah, each other's but I just think like, like get, should, sa- 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 saleable asset, get decent money for for 'em and then get a good player in.
0: Okay, Kieran, your final selection, who are you upgrading on with the squad that you have left? Um,
1: don't say it, Kieran. Don't say it. Greg Taylor, say it, Greg
2: Taylor. No. Mm. Right. I'm, I don't know. I, I think I think it would be uh, quite, and uh, I'm going to say I, I maybe, am in no doubt. Here I'm picking, by the way. <laughs> okay, Christian, Christian can go because I'm just going to I'm going to bottle it and be cowardly and let him go ahead. I, I'm selling Joe Hart, bringing in a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. oh I, f- I forgot about, <laughs> <There> <laughs> about you go. Joe Hart. Yeah, I'm all over <laughs> about Joe Hart, Yeah, I completely forgot about that part. <laughs> no, would yeah, it, we need a really good keeper.
0: <laughs> would it not be better to sell C-Grace and keep Joe Hart as like the elder statesman, second yeah. in, in line? Yeah. Um, Yes, but
1: it's, it's, that's not. You're not going to get Joe Hart to sit on the bench, right?
0: Yeah. So, so this uh, this has been an enlightening podcast for me, anyway. Uh, just realizing how petty both of you are. Uh, but <laughs> before I go, I just just Kieran, I, I would to say that was like a an, an advert for insurance from the ADAC. That wasn't NDS, so you just need need to watch yourself.
2: There'll yeah, be men in black coats turn up to my door.
0: I actually had to go uh, into my wife who had just gone to bed to ask if it was okay for me to rip this up before the podcast <laughs> started. And she was not too happy about me woken up. So. so that's, 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 that's a less we go to. I could have just ripped up blank that's, paper,
1: but I, you know, that is married life for you. Waking yeah. up your wife, asking if you can rip a part or piece of paper to pretend it's uh, an NDA on a football podcast. I've I've done that many times.
0: Yeah, I think that was actually in the vows during the ceremony. (laughs) Kieran, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been too long since we've podcasted together.
2: Uh, Pleasure's all mine, Graham. It's been lovely. It's flown by.
0: I just keep looking at that wardrobe behind you and wondering how many bottles of shampoo you've got in it.
2: Oh, it's just like jumpers and coats and that. Some more no Caroline.
0: There's no <laughs> extra shampoo this time, Christian. Does that I mean I see you so often it's not really been anything? I, no, I was
1: to say, I'm, I'm sad with I was going to pump Kieran some water and then ask him for information uh, as well in terms of just you know uh, all this you know shenanigans of the athletic. But you know we can maybe have a follow so. up.
0: <laughs> in you it's quarter to twelve my time, and you're, you're <laughs> filling it with filth. <laughs> This has it's been the sh- Transfer Committee. There will be plenty to come down the road. Uh, Gal has given me the five minute one, and about 15 minutes ago, so we need to wrap this one up. Uh, I've been Greg Mackay. This has been the Transfer Committee. The committee is out. Do, do, pe- do people hammer things at com- committees? I don't know. The Great committee- job in rounding this off, by the way. The com- superb job. <laughs> the committee is out, and we'll catch you down the road.